Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. At the end or middle end of of verse number five, it says, supposing that gain is godliness. Supposing that gain is godliness. And so the teaching or the thought was at this time that these people were were spreading or that they were saying the false teaching that was being given was because of the gain, because of the, the physical gain, the wealth, the things of that, they were saying, well, hey, I'm godly. Because of this, look at what's taking place. Well, the problem was within this is this was basically a group of people that were using the name of Christ or using Christianity for personal gain. They would use it for personal financial gain or for maybe it was power or whatever it would be, but they were using the name of Christianity to profit. We come to these verses here that we'll look at this morning. And we look at two main words that are within this passage of Scripture. One of them is gain and one of them is contentment. Paul was a man that I think really when it comes to finances and when it comes to these things, some of what he's written we can look at and we think, man, when it, specifically to this topic, he was a guy that he didn't take money from the Corinthian church. They were trying to offer it to him and, and he, he said no for the specific reason in many regards because of what was taking place. He did not want it to look like he was gaining because of the other things that were taking place. We also know that Paul was a man that said that to live, or I'm actually getting ahead of myself, but he he says in Philippians that he learned whatever state that he was in to be content. And so we know that Paul uh, spoke of these things with finances. He refused support. He did these different things. But when we come to this passage of Scripture, I think what we'll look at this morning is so many of us, we, I don't know if anybody in here is, is going to, yeah, well, I use Christ's name to gain. I don't think that we're dealing with that. But we do have issues when it comes to finances and contentment in Christ. I spoke, we were talking in our, our small group this past week, and one of the things that I made reference to was, I don't believe Hardly anybody in the United States of America truly understands and knows what it is to truly be content. Our contentment in America is, well, we have one or two or three cars. We have a thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand or whatever amount of square footage within our home. We have food and then we have snacks and then we have little snack breaks, you know, we have chips and snacks and peanuts and things, but then we might need a Coke or a candy bar or a fourth or fifth cups of Starbucks. Our contentment, literally, think about it, our contentment is I should probably cut out Starbucks this month because we're running a little low on funds. That's the state's. Like, that's where we live. Not, maybe not everybody. Everyone's a little bit different. But for the most part, when we look at that, we don't fully grasp. I don't. I'm not saying you. I don't fully grasp what it is to be 100% content. 
you go to countries around the world and you see believers and you're like, man, those people are so happy. But yet their houses are mud huts. I'll never forget when I went to Guatemala and seeing the way that the people live and then seeing those that are just loving Christ. They're content because that's where God has them. And so we look at those those words contentment and and gain. This morning, as we get into this passage of scripture, yes, we are dealing with finances this morning. The the sermon itself is not a financial sermon that is you need to give. This isn't a matter of we need to we're trying to raise money and I need and I need and I need. That's not where we're at. Here's the reality. We're going verse by verse and this is where we're at. But when we look at this passage of scripture, I would I would ask you this. Take off the gloves, sit back and check yourself and look in the mirror and and really introspectively look at your lives this morning as we deal with and as we look at some of our finances and not and again this isn't a a sermon on giving i'm not going to come to the end and be like okay we're going to do a tithing challenge this week that's not where we're at it's really more of a personal where are we and so as we as we go through this let's look at a couple things that we as people just some simple understandings one money is not wrong there is nothing wrong with having finances some of you in this room have more than I do, and some of you have less than I do, and, and we look around, there, nothing's wrong with money. We need to recognize that. The love of money, we'll discuss that in a moment, but there's nothing wrong with money inherently. Money is it's an amoral thing. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is not a bad thing. At the other side of it, money is a gift from God. We need to recognize that. Money is a gift from God. We as believers must be willing, this is where it gets more difficult, to part with our money. We have to get to a place that we are willing to part with our money. I believe that there is something to be said about one that is generous within their life. And that's not just generous to the church, but we need to, we need to look at those things. We must not be proud or seek security in our money. We must never make money the pursuit of our lives. We must use our finances for eternal gain, and we must not love our money. Paul writes, and he speaks on all these things, and he ties it all together in verse number 10 when he says, The love of money is the root of all evil. And it really, I believe that this should take us to a place where we kind of Look in our lives, because here's the reality. If I'm going to, I'm going to, if I were to ask you this question and have you raise your hand this morning, hey, what? Who of you just love money? Most of you in this room are not going to put your hand up. I don't know of one person that, if I were to sit down in my office and say, hey, if we were to really get down to the root of this issue, you just love money, you're going to go. You know what? Yes, you're right. I would do anything to have some money. No one in this room is going to say that. And I would guess that most of us would say, no, we really don't just love money. If I were to ask this on another way, many people would say, well, the people that love money are the people that are rich and have a lot of it. They're just greedy. Man, those millionaires and those billionaires and those all this stuff, and we could really go into politics right there. We're not going to. But we... We could look at those things and we would say what? Well, rich people are the ones that really love money. 
I would flip that around in my personal opinion. Most poor people love money far more than rich people. My experience. But as we get into this, most of you are not going to be like, yeah, oh, I just love it. Anything that I can do to get it, I would do it. No, but here's where our issue comes in. Because I have experienced many, many, many people say, Pastor, I, was, I took a pay cut this week. Pastor, um, I don't know what we're going to do for bills, and I really don't know what we're going to do for food this month, or I just, man, things, I don't know what we're going to do. Hey, I've been there. I would guess almost every person in this room has been to a place where you're like, oh boy, what are we going to do? But it kind of goes back to the contentment and the love of money thing, because here's where most of us fall into the trap. We go, how am I going to do this? And then within the next sentence, you're pulling out your smartphone to get on your internet and you're walking into your house to flip on your cable television and you're getting into your car that you pay four or five or six hundred dollars for a month and we're saying, how in the world, what am I going to do? How am I going to have food on the table for the kids and for our family? Man, this pay cut is so tough. And it comes down to nobody in this room is going to say, Pastor, I just love money. For us, for me, it's, man... I might have to get rid of my cable, my $150 Cox bill that I pay every month. I might not be able to have the data plan that I have on my smartphone. I may have to get an old school flip phone, or I may have to do this, or I may. And we really rationalize in our mind, oh my word, how am I going to pay the bills and how am I going to eat? And our love of money shows up and smacks us right in the face, whether we like to look at it that way or not. Our love of money smacks us in the face. And we're like, ah, but I can't watch ESPN tonight. It hits us all. Every person in this room, one way or another. And so as we go through this passage of Scripture, again, it's looking introspectively, looking in at our lives. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying, I'm not, this isn't, this is verse by verse, so... There's no whatever. But as we look at this, let's look at some of the danger things. Danger signs. Those who have it are more concerned with making it than honesty or the quality of their work. Really, to me, that's just simple integrity. Just can't get enough. Man, these are danger signs. When I just can't get enough, when I'm flaunting the money and the things that I have, when I resent giving it away, when I would be willing to sin to gain it. There's so many things, but at the bottom line, at the heart of all of this this morning, and here's where I'll get to and we'll get into the points. The heart of this is money is a gift from God, but money is such a heart issue. Money is just at the core. It's a heart issue. It's an idolatry issue. It's, a, it's an issue that is deep within every one of us. And you know why? We'll get into it here in just a second. But it's, it's because... We're selfish, prideful, sinning people. It's in our nature. It's in our nature. And so this morning, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you're still following along with me and you're not angry at me, because I told you that you spend too much money at Cox, 
which I never said that. But anyway, verse number six, first Timothy chapter six, verse number six is where we'll start this morning. It says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Father God, I pray this morning that your word would speak. I pray that this would not be something that is... uh, taken out of the context of the passage of scripture that we're looking at, I pray that we would put our guards down because when we deal with money, it becomes so touchy, especially in the church. And God, I pray that we would just look at our hearts and look where we sit and look where we are and, and recognize that there's areas that I can do more for God's kingdom. There's areas that I can look at and make sure that I don't go there, that I would guard myself in these different areas of life. And God, that you would be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the sermon is Our Greatest Gain. And as we do this, we're going to kind of do some comparing and contrasting, similar to what we did last week. But our greatest gain, and our first point is this, goes against our nature. Our nature is to love money because our nature is sin. Our nature is self. And when we love money, we fall into the trap that the enemy would desire us to be in. Again, our the enemy wants us to be so worried about everything else. The enemy wants us to be so so caught up into us and that when we when we fall into that or when we go against the nature which is verse number 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Our nature does not lead to lead us to be content in him. That is the opposite of what our nature is. We want more. We have, we have pride. We have all these things. And these people saw religion as a means of getting wealthy, of enjoying the things of the world. They used a good thing to please their own nature. I read this, and as I was studying, the thing that kept going in my mind is the prosperity gospel has been around for a very, very, very long time. People have been using God to gain money for a very, very, very long time. I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings and if you've done this, but sending in $100 for a little prayer cloth is not going to get you closer to the Lord. If you need a prayer cloth, go in your bathroom, grab a towel, put it on the floor, get on your knees and pray. There you go. It saved you 100 bucks. That does not get you anything. Sending them money doesn't. That's, that's just, it's, it's me telling you, hey, you, you fall in love with Jesus and you're going to be rich. Man, if that happened, I, 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 I try to love Christ with all my heart. The money hasn't fell off the tree and just started filling my home yet. As a matter of fact, sometimes the closer that I get, I feel the less of it that comes in. Have you been there? But God, I, I think I'm closer than ever. What in the world? Why did you take that away? 
No, that's not what it's 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 our nature to continue to to dive into that stuff. The reality is the person who depends on material things for peace and assurance will never be satisfied since material things have a way of losing their appeal. In its true and pure sense, godliness is reverence. Godliness is to be more like Christ. Godliness is to be become unmovable, to become unflappable, become unmoved by outside circumstance. And, and we gain contentment. The closer that you draw to God, the more that you fall in love with him, the more that you're on your knees, the more that you're in his word and growing and growing and growing, the more those things take place, the less all of the stuff on the outside seems to matter. Because it's no longer about me. See, if you're growing close to God, you tend to naturally say, God, here, here I am. Hey, take, take what little thing that I have and, and use it to something. John said that, that he would be hid behind the cross. Hide me. That, that God, that here I am. There's something to be said about the, the phrase that's always been, he takes, he doesn't equip the called. No, what is it? I'm completely butchering that statement now. He, what is it? He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Good night, I'm losing my mind. He doesn't equip the called. Or <laughs> hey, if you'd put pause there and then start that over again. But we get it. You get my point? He doesn't take the most talented. He takes the one that's willing to give him his heart and he'll give him the talent that he needs. There we go. Good night. That was bad. But that's, that's Christ. We tend to do the opposite. When we love money, we ignore what true gain is. Godliness produces contentment. Godliness produces contentment. The closer that you draw to God, He gives you, He produces that in you, the contentment that we need to fall over or fall in love with Him. Contentment comes only from God. When our likeness, when our image is in Him, the rest doesn't matter. 2 Corinthians 3 and 5 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is in God. Listen, I cannot be sufficient in who I am. If I think that I have it all under control, God will quickly allow me to see that I have nothing in control. Have you ever been to a place where you're like, oh my word. And you're just literally, you're at that place where you're like, God, there is nothing that I can do in this situation. Nothing. I've used our church as illustrations, but there was many times when I go back to roughly four years ago, when I stepped into the position, there was many times where it was, oh, what do we do? And we would sit in room and some of you men sat in those rooms and we would throw things out and we would talk and we would pray and we would cry and we would do things. And it was, oh, where, yeah, it's a scary, scary thing. When at the time, Troy was helping us with finances and Troy walks into the office and says, Pastor, we don't have a dime in the bank account because it was all seized last night. About five minutes later, Murray walks into the office randomly. 
And me and Troy are walking through the auditorium going, oh my word. There wasn't a penny in our bank account. I cry. Ah! How do I tell the people that one? We just prayed. I cried. We prayed. I cried. We didn't have an answer. There was no answer. There was so many times throughout the last four years with our church where it was literally, okay, God, I am, I'm clueless. Five pastors in my council would say, pastor, the greatest thing, the best thing that I could tell you right now is file bankruptcy and start it over. And I'm like, I can't do that. How do I do that? Listen, our sufficiency is not in us. Some of you are sitting in a place right now and you're thinking to yourself, how can I financially, how can I do this? What can I do? Listen, it's not in you. The sufficiency is not in you. And the closer that we draw to God, the more that we can see, it's not about me. It's not about what I do or what I can do. It becomes about him because we, can, we become content with what we have and where we are. And then we recognize, wow, you are the one and you're the only one. Job, in Job, if we were to continue to go, verse number 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We go back, when we love money, we ignore what true gain is. And then this, if, we, if our gain is in money, we live in the temporal. Job said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's so often what we do. And let me just, this is the longest point that I have this morning. But this is what we so often do. We live, we work, we live, we work, we get, we get, we get, we get, we get, we get. And everything within us is for here and now. Listen, I'm not looking out at a bunch of rich people. I'm looking out at a bunch of normal, everyday, hardworking people. Some of you are retired and you haven't worked hard in years. But you get my, my point. We're just normal people that have worked hard and, and we're, we're doing what we have to do. But you know what? If all I do is work to pay the bills and all I do is, man, I got to do this. I got to do this. And if I got to put in, listen to me, young men, let me encourage you with this. The time and a half for working the extra hours that you put in, that's all good. My dad worked overtime. We've all put in the hours But if all we're doing is working so that our kids can have it better than we had it, let me ask you this. How bad was it? How bad was it to ride a bicycle around the park or around the neighborhood? How bad was it to throw a ball? How bad was it to do some of those things? It's okay to have things, but if all I do is work so that I can provide for my children to have the next greatest material thing and my kids don't see dad and my kids aren't growing in Christ and my kids are missing, we're missing the boat. 
If everything that I do on this earth is for the here and now, we have completely missed why the, what the Christian life is about. Hey, we are told to work hard. In Genesis, God put Adam in and he said to work. We're told to do that. It's ingrained within us. But that's not what this life is for. We ought to work so that we can put it away for later. And I get that that's frustrating. You know what? It's frustrating sometimes to think about our Christian lives and think, man, look at all the things that I've done and I have nothing to see about it. What do we like when we work? I like to work and see something done and accomplished. Anybody else? You can check that off the list. I love that. You know, in our Christian lives, oftentimes (laughs) we can't do that. I gave all my tithes. I gave all my time. I did this and I did that. And at the end of the day, I'm like, wait, I didn't, I don't see it. I read my Bible today and my life just wasn't perfect and glorious. I didn't see it. You know, sometimes it's hard to know God's word when it says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What does it say in Mark 8? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Our focus has to be eternal. Our focus has to be eternal. And that's not just in, hey, I'm telling people about Jesus. That's not just in, hey, I came to church. That's not in, that's even with our finances. And it's not just, oh, I gave my 10%. No, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Loving money takes away the simplicity of life. In verse 8 it says, Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. How many of you would be content with having food and clothes? (laughs) Not many. You mean I'd have to get rid of my car? I'd I'd have to get rid of my house? I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to? God says, It's content. You know, I don't believe that this world, this earth, is supposed to be lived in utter complication. Most of people in this room have a computer. Either you're on it right now, or you're on it throughout the day. Most of us have... One of you just texted me while I'm in here. Could you not have picked on DirecTV instead? Look at you guys. (laughs) That's the first ever. Usually it's Rich Frank and it's not. But here's here. We have these and they are to make our life so much easier. Let me tell you, this makes your life such a wreck. It does. Some of you are like, don't tell me that. We, be, we are so addicted. Addicted. All of us. Somebody on Facebook just posted something and it dung for you. Oh, look, what did they do? It complicates life. Our computers are supposed to make it so much easier. It complicates things. All of these things, they just multiply and it complicates. Listen, the more that we add, the more complicated it is. The more money we have, the more things we possess, the more complicated things have the tendency to become. 
God isn't asking us to vow be, to, to vow to become poor. Listen to that. Remember, just know that I'm not telling you that you all have to go and sell everything that you have and you have to become poor. That's not what God says. But he says to become content in him. We need to be content in him. You know what this verse has done for me? One, it's made me look at some of my finances at home. But what some of this has done too is made me look at our church and go, wow, how content really are we as a church? How content am I as a pastor that we are doing the simple things of church and just truly doing church in the manner that it could be done? He's not asking us to be poor. But here's what we've done. We've replaced people with things, conversations with entertainment, and we have lost so many of the simple joys of life that should center around relationships, the most important relationship being Christ. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And then he comes to the end, verse number 33, if you skip down, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, the greatest gain is contentment. The greatest thing, there is no greater thing that any of us can do on this earth than come to a place where you know and love Christ and are giving everything to him. There is nothing better on this earth. I love cars. I would love to have a Bentley, two-door convertible Bentley. I would love it. I don't want a Ferrari. I don't want a Lamborghini. Give me a two-door Bentley that's just bad. Some of you are like, you're an idiot. Yes, I'll never have one, okay? I can dream. I see him on the car and I'm out of the road. But here's the reality. Knowing God and growing in Christ, that thing means nothing. It means nothing. Because one day... We live this life so that one day we've worshipped, we've praised, we've given, we've shared, we've done all of these things so that one day we get to heaven and we stand before God and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He lays crowns and he, we've, we gain crowns of, of, of eternal value. We do all of those things not for here because all of this stuff will not be here. I was reading in some of my study and I love this quote. It said, hearses do not Pull trailers. It's not going to be going with us. We know that. But do we live that way? Do we live contently? Our greatest gain has real results is the second point. Our greatest gain has real results. Our nature, again, is sin and self. Therefore, we love money. If I were to take the same lifestyle and gain that I enjoy in and, and, and the love of money... God's word says that I would fall into temptation. It says in verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation. That means this, they that desire to be rich. It's not saying that those that have money are going to fall into temptation. Those that desire that. And again, we'll get to that in verse 10 where it says, because the love of money. J.D. Rockefeller said this, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Cornelius Vanderbilt said that the care of millions is too great a load. There is no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor, another uh, millionaire. I'm the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford, I was happier doing mechanics work 
J.D. Rockefeller, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. Money is a snare. Money is something that we go after and we go after and we go after. Listen, it may not be money for you. It may be something else. Anything that entraps us, anything that ensnares us, we have to constantly go back to and go back to and go back to. It's an addiction. It's addiction. That could be money. It could be drugs. It could be sex. It could be pornography. It could be the list can go on and on and on. But when it entraps us, we need more. We crave more. We crave more. We crave more. It's a temptation. But they that will, that desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Hey, the reality is when our greatest gain is here on earth, when our greatest gain is to see what we can have and what we can pull together and how much more we can make and how much more we can get and how much more and how much more, when that is our greatest gain, there are real and serious consequences and results because of that. God's word says that those serious consequences, it says, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, And it says, which drown men into destruction and perdition. That's not a destruction on this earth. That's eternal. That's not you're going to have a rough week. That's eternal. That's eternal. What does God's word say in, in Matthew 19? And I don't believe this is on the screen. I know it's not. But Matthew 19 in verse 24, it's a verse that many of us probably could quote. But it says, And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. We think that we are sufficient enough in ourselves. Ask people around you, how do you get to heaven? Well, I do enough good. I have done this. I have done that. I can do this. My good outweighs my bad. We... You listen to it. You see it. You talk to people. If you share the gospel with anybody, somebody has told you, I'm okay. I'm a good enough person. We become sufficient in ourselves. The result is entrapment. It's hurtful. Our greed and our lust of money is so great that we can become senseless, illogical, or irrational. We have Alan, a... retired CSI. We have Roxanne who works within Metro. There's others of you. Roger who's worked within police departments and uh, Merlin who's worked, I couldn't think your name for it. Merlin's worked within police departments who's been retired. There's others of you that have done uh, work of that nature. Most of you probably have stories where somebody was murdered, robbed or something. Why? Because of money, right? You don't rob somebody for nothing. There's divorce. What is one of the major reasons for divorce? Number one reason for divorce is money. People die because of money. We watched the 48 hours last night. Because that's all that's on on Saturday nights is 48 hours in 2020. And it's always about some mystery death. What was it? It was all over money. The man plotted to have his wife killed because he didn't want to give her $25,000 a month for child support and alimony, whatever it is. I'll take that. Good night. But what was it all over? Money. It's money. It's money. It drives us to do things that we would never, ever imagine us to do. 
And it's not because they're just bad people. They're so drawn into it. They are so given to the temptation and to the lust that it is that it causes them to become hurtful. Loving money is eternally damning. The result of sin and money are real. As are the results of the greatest gain being content in Christ. There's real results to falling after the temptation of the devil when it comes to those things of money. You know, there's real results to give our life to Christ also. Because just as damning as it is to spend eternal life separated from God is as rewarding as it is to know that I've given my life to the Almighty King. And that I've came to a place in my life where I've recognized the sin that's in my life. I've recognized that Jesus Christ died and I've said to myself, wow, I'm placing my trust in this. I'm, I'm giving God my life and I need to step away from me and give it all to him. And there's just as great a reward. I shouldn't say just as great. It's an amazing reward. There's a real result to giving Christ our life. And the last point this morning, our greatest gain has real roots. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It is the root of all evil. It's literally, it's an affection of silver. It's an affection. It, this love becomes the root that develops everything else. I don't have to go into grave detail, and this is basically we're wrapped up this morning. I don't have to go into detail of what the root is. If the roots are bad, the fruit on the other end is bad. If the roots are dying underneath the ground, then there isn't nothing, there's not much on top. When the love, when my affection, when my drive is, it says the root of evil, then everything above it is not going either. It's dying. It causes change in our lives. It causes us to do things that we know we shouldn't do. It causes all kinds of things. Why? Because my drive is the wrong drive. But yet on the flip side, when my drive is as a dad, when my drive is that I would, I would know God's word to teach it to my kids, to love my wife, to, to raise up a godly home. When my drive is that I would just, I would fall after God. I would give everything to God. The root of that, the root of that, we talked about a little bit last, yet last week, that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. That comes from having a root down deep in what causes us to be unmovable what causes us to be unshakable it's when our roots are dug deep psalms chapter one speaks of that when we are dug deep we can't be just tossed to and fro no we stand firm we stand firm hey there's real results but our greatest gain has real roots let me just encourage you this morning Again, I'm not, I'm not here this morning to, to make you go home and check all of your stuff. And I'm not here to make you doubt how you give. And I'm not here to do any of those things. But here is, here is the greatest thing that we can do. Fall in love with Christ and allow God to be the contentment in our lives. Not that we're able to have a car. Not that we're able to have direct TV. Not that we're able to have whatever it is. 
It's not those things. Listen, I would love to have nice cars. I would love to have a bigger home. I would love to have fancy clothes. I, I, we all would like that stuff. The most simple person in this room, there's still things that you like that you would just really enjoy having. You might say, I just like to sit out in the woods, look out my back porch, see the woods and see the deer and see the whatever, and just have nothing. It's peace and quiet. I like that. You still have to have money to go buy that home, to go buy that piece of property. I love the hunt, and I love to just sit out where it's just quiet. But you have to pay for a gun and for a tag. And if you're a really good hunter, you have to pay for a quad to get you out into the middle of wherever it is that you're going. Or you have to have a horse to whatever. I don't know. It's okay to have those desires. But when those are the desires that drive every force of your life, we lose the opportunity to be content in him. Because that shouldn't be the driving force of our life. It's okay to have finances. It's okay to have things. It's not okay to have those things drive every area of your life. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.